that we who believe in Jesus have peace with God, and as a result of that, we have the peace of God as well. So this morning, uh, going to be, oh, now that'll start my car. That's a wrong, that's a wrong clicker. Let's try this one. This will work better. Okay, so there we go. So we're going to talk about peace this morning, and uh, but actually it's going to be a little bit more about guilt and shame feelings, so forth like that, but it comes from this topic, this idea of peace and having our feet shod with peace, because that's part of this idea. Uh, people have lots of feelings, negative feelings about guilt and, and uh, shame feelings, so forth like that, when it comes to the Lord Jesus. So we're going to talk about living uh, in the peace of God and in the, your bulletin, I have this big, long uh, outline. The short side is on the front side. If you want to get the extensive side, go flip it over and follow me on, on that if you want. Uh, but it'll be in the PowerPoint as well, so you can kind of know where I'm headed here. So the, when we think about the peace of God and have peace in our hearts, uh, all, the, all the time has feelings of guilt, condemnation come up. And on the other hand, the good stuff is forgiveness and acceptance. And if you haven't memorized in King James Version yet, the Ephesians 1, no, yeah, Ephesians 1, 6. The last few words of that says, you're accepted in the beloved. And that is a wonderful, wonderful scripture. And remember it and never, ever forget that. You who believe in Jesus Christ are fully, wholly accepted in the beloved as Jesus. And you are perfect in his eyes. Never to have an, uh, another bad feeling in Jesus' eyes again, per se. Now, I don't know if, uh, I've never seen this movie or read the book or whatever, and I really don't know who, the author per se, but there, the, this woman made a very good uh, statement here. Guilt isn't always a rational thing, this lady says, but here's what it is. Guilt is a weight that will crush you whether you deserve it or not. I've been in the ministry for nearly 40 years, I have talked with thousands of people in my days uh, out, out in China and over here in America. And I tell you, this thing of guilt, it just crushes people. It, it is something that is, it's not just American thing or a Chinese thing. It's all over the world. And uh, something we really as Christians don't want to be living under uh, with. It is not a pleasant thing. So this morning, I'm going to talk about uh, this idea of peace, but more, more specifically about guilt and the shame feelings, and then how it uh, comes around that we can stand before Jesus uh, with great open hearts and not worry about any, that kind of stuff in our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we are very thankful to know you. We are very grateful to know you, to be known by you. Thank you for selecting us, causing us to want to know you, then actually convicting our hearts that, to show us that need, that we need a Savior, and uh, we come before you. Who we are, Lord Jesus, here we are. Thank you for saving us from our sins, for giving us the Lord Jesus as our eternal Savior, and that we have the peace of God in our hearts forever and ever. And uh, we just praise you for that. May your spirit speak profoundly uh, to each one of us and guide this time as we share and we think about your word and the, the concepts and the thoughts in your word. Oh, Father God, may you take, take those, those thoughts, those words out of the pages of your word and plant them in our heart deeply that it will change us from this day on. We just thank you for what you're doing in our midst, and we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we all know, the, uh, oops, here we go. 
I got to go down this way. Right here. I'm still going the wrong way. Here we go. Creation of mankind. Now, I know that we uh, think about that often, and uh, when people are created, they're created in the image of God. That's a really a basic idea that we all come across with. But when we're created in the image of God, we're very, we have an innocence and an honorable position before God, who we are as people, fearful sense of, of oh, wow, people really are, it's amazing. When you have a little baby come into the world, you know, people just say, ooh and ah, think, think, they think they're really cute. But on the other hand, it's just amazing how in the world from nothing, here's this, this you know, has 10, to, ten toes and fingers. And oh my, this is an amazing thing that happened. How in the world does this ever happen? It's just awesome that a little person could come into this world from nothing. And when God creates people, he creates us. And uh, we have a few, a number of little ones around here. And I'm thinking little Zoe. She's so cute and so little, you know, and she's actually a lot bigger now. But, uh, oh, wow, isn't it so sweet? She's so innocent, little child. And I'm not being facetious. I mean, she really is when she's come here. But then, of course, she knows day by day it's not quite so innocent as, as you come to find out. But that's the way we all start. It's really cool that, that God starts us that way. And then in our original state uh, that, as you read in the Bible, that both the man and the woman, they were in the garden. And we don't know how many years you know, it could have been many, many years they were in the garden there. And they lived, you know, not naked, start naked. Naked as a blue jay is what I heard when I was growing up. That type of thing is here they are, man and a woman out there, and uh, not a st- stitch of clothing on them. Now, this day and age, we, you know, we couldn't deal with that. But in that day, is okay. They didn't feel ashamed a bit about that. And there wasn't anything immoral about it. There wasn't a thing about that. Their condition that was immoral or bad. They were totally innocent. God created people like that. When mankind is created, that's how he created us. It's a far cry from what we experience this day and age, but originally man was created like that. We are perfect in God's eyes, and that has that. It's totally sinless. But, you know, that's not where the whole story stops. There, mankind sin. And, uh, we, we know that, and that's not a, a pleasant thing here. So then we go on to read, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you shall eat freely of You can help yourself. Here's a whole, like, go out to the, go to Wenatchee, okay? Any of the apple orchards, all the orchards, you can eat anything you want, but, what does he say? From the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Oh, my goodness. No. How, how could an innocent person ever choose one thing out of a myriad of good things? Everything else was, was pleasant, good, only one negative thing out there. And well, guess what? We took it. I didn't blame them. I said we, right? That we are involved in that same thing too. But they, what they did that day is they committed a transgression. Now, we didn't know about it, what that was exactly. It was a command. We know about that. But then, was later on, when Paul talks about it here in Romans, he talks about this what the, when he gave a, kind of his commentary on what happened in the Garden of Eden. He says they transgressed there. And they, they, uh, they crossed over a line that was a barrier that they shouldn't have done. Transgression has to do with overstepping existing law. And uh, now I drove here this morning. I don't know how many drove here this morning, but I come from Moses Lake. So I have opportunity to go over 35 miles an hour. 
actually 25 miles an hour on the way in. And the speed limit says 60 miles an hour out there, right? So I go most of the time 60. Well, six, after I'm going to be real honest, I go 62. I set my, uh, my uh, thingy at 62, so I won't go over that. But uh, still, I'm being very honest with you here. Did I transgress the law? Now, come on, be up, up front with me, Paul. Yes, I did, right? Okay, missionary Paul, you transgressed the law all the way in here, from all the way from my house all the way out here to, to Walmart. All right, so I go 62. Not over that, and most of the time not under either. No, but, the, <laughs> but that's, okay, that's the speed that I've set there so I can relatively get away with my conscience that I'm not going to get a fine from the law. Now, does that make it okay? No. Okay, I'm guilty that I committed a transgression, right? I went, or I go 62 miles an hour, that's only two miles over. The police are not going to stop me for that. It's okay, right? No, it's not okay. It's a transgression. Okay? Guilty as charged. That's the guilt, right? Because I've done something that's, that's marked out clearly that I know that's something. I've gone over the barrier. I've gone over that mark. So that is a transgression, or we call it sin. For all of sin, it falls short of the glory of God, right? That's part of that whole thing. But thanks be to God in Christ Jesus who gives us eternal life. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would be in a, in a very big mess. So innocence and, oops, innocence and guilt here is um, what I want to get about. When we were created in Christ, originally, the Adam and Eve, mankind was totally innocent. Maybe they, well, we did have the ability to sin, Jesus doesn't have the ability to sin, but man had the ability to sin. But we were sinless. We were innocent. We, we were not guilty of anything before Adam and Eve sinned, before they ate that fruit, whatever that was. That mankind somehow was, was totally innocent. Somewhat like little, little Zoe. I mean, she, we can't really consider her really totally innocent, but she's so innocent, we say. You know, when they're little baby, bitty babies, you know, two or three months old, that they are innocent. But we know theologically they're not, but in humans' perspective, they are. But then along comes guilt. And that is something that we know it's not just a feeling of, oh, I feel guilty, I feel ashamed about this, or humiliated about this, saying, no, I'm guilty because I've done something wrong. I've actually crossed some law, some immoral thing that I've done, and that makes me guilty. And there's a bit of difference, either innocent or guilty, of something that we're being charged with here. I ran on to a couple of quotes this week that are quite good that I want to read here. It's one by John Piper. God's holiness and righteous glory have been desecrated, defamed, and blasphemed by our sin. It is with a holy God that we have to do in our guilt. Now, this is important to think about here in our guilt. And there can be no justification, no reconciliation, no cleansing of our conscience unless the holiness of God is honored and the defamation of his righteousness is repaired. The urgency of our problem with guilt is not that we feel miserable, but that God's name has been blasphemed. Most of the time when we're dealing with feelings of guilt and that kind of thing, feelings of shame, it's all about us. Oh, I feel rotten today. I feel so I can't even lift up my head. Oh, I, I'm just a, a terrible, lousy Christian. I don't do things right. You know what? We go on and on about all of this moaning about our, our condition and so forth. And it's about us. 
But when we think about sin, it's not the guilt feelings that we have. It's the feelings that God has. It is our sin. What has our sin made? How has our sin made God feel? What has it done to his character? That's what John Piper is really getting at right here. It's excellent. This concept is really good. Getting our eyes off of our little feelings, how we feel about our little selves, up to God. What have we done in what our past, the things we've said, the things we've, we've uh, done with our actions? How has that caused God to be affronted, so to speak? This is where we need to think about. Not so much how we're feeling. When we get get to that point of thinking from God's perspective, how he feels about things, how he views our lives and our sins, it puts a whole different perspective on things. God is a worthy God to be praised and honored. Guilt is a symptom that drives us to the cure, and the cure is Jesus Christ. And this is something that is very apparent. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to die for our sins. The per oh, see. Perhaps the reason you feel guilty uh, today is, uh, is because you are, or because I am. Is Paul guilty of going over 60 miles an hour? Yes, I am. So should I feel a bit guilty about that? Uh, maybe. But it doesn't matter whether I feel guilty or not. I am guilty. That's not the issue, right? It's not how, oh, I just drove 62 miles an hour in here, so, that, so I should feel lousy about that. Well, maybe, but the issue isn't about that. I, I did something that I'm guilty of. That's the issue. When in this idea of guilt is what, has, what have we done with God or against God? It's not how I feel about it per se. It's how God looks at this issue. And then uh, from that, okay, this is how I need to align my life up with God to deal with my, my uh, issues in my life. Now, big word justification here of believers. So Gary talks about justification, sanctification, glorification. Right now, what I've been talking about right now is about this idea of unbelievers coming before a righteous God and how is a person going to be justified in God's eyes. Justification. We're not talking about a Christian way of life yet, about how we live every day as a believer, but right now we're talking about how to be justified. Romans 5.18 says, this. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation through Adam and Eve. They sinned that one thing, eating, and the condemnation went down to every one of us. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification to all men. Praise the Lord. I'm involved in that, and I'm, you're included in that. Now, this one here, I do this little, uh, tried to get this little slide up here to get the idea. Adam and Eve First people in the world started in the Old Testament way over there. And then many, many hundreds, thousands of years later, along came Jesus. 33 AD, he died on the cross for, for mankind's sins. And then here we are over in 2018, and who knows how long we have left before the last person lives on this earth. So all the Old Testament sins, all the New, Tes New Testament sins, where are they focused in? They're all focused in Jesus Christ. How did people in the Old Testament get saved? Fundamentally, by believing in Jesus. How do people in the New Testament get saved? 
We all believe in Jesus, all focus in Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who died in 33 AD in Jerusalem on that cruel cross. It's there that he paid the price for all of man's sin. He satisfied the, the, the things that we had done against God. God's holy wrath, God's holy righteousness was all satisfied in Jesus at that point on the cross. Now, you'll also notice right there in 1952. That's me. I was born in 1952. For some of you, that's pretty young. For some of you, that's very old. So, doesn't really matter. In 1952, I was born, and when did Jesus die for my sins? Just, just a couple years before me? No, many years before me. Almost 2,000 years, right? 1,900 and some years before me, Jesus died for Paul Mayhew. All right? Well... <clears throat> When Jesus died for me, how many sins did he die for Paul Mayhew? All of them. Even my driving over 50 or 60 miles an hour? Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything. Jesus died for all of my sins. Now, uh, okay, let's bring it uh, more to a little bit closer. Uh, my son David is here. Uh, he's 27, right, right now? Okay, so he's 27 years old. I'm 66. So... He believed in Jesus when he was five years old. So how many sins did Jesus die for for David? All of them. All right. Now let's bring up uh, Russell. Uh, picking on you today. We got, okay, was he four years old now? Four years old. Okay, R little Russell's four years old. So uh, he hasn't believed in Jesus like yet, but may, may have. Uh, but uh, ask how many sins ha of Russell has Jesus died for? All of them. Okay. Now, for me, what if I, what if I sin here? If I live another ten years, has Jesus already paid for the sins I that I will commit in ten years from now? Okay. All right. That's you got the idea, right? That Jesus pays for all the sins, but he didn't do it right recently. He did it two thousand years ago on the cross. There. That's the big idea, and. This is really very important. I meet with so many people. I talk with so many people that they are so stressed out about the sins that they commit today or they're going to commit, commit tomorrow. Has Jesus already forgiven those sins? Please tell me. As, yes, he has forgiven them back 2,000 years ago. Yeah, now, we have, as believers, we have to uh, confess our sins. But it, the big idea is when did those sins get forgiven? A long time ago. It's all taken care of in Jesus. He has paid for all of that. So for us as believers, that justification says something that's very, very important, that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. R memorize this, folks. If you don't have it memorized, take it to heart. This thing, there's no condemnation. Nobody's going to condemn you to hell for anything. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you have eternal life and a life with Jesus forever and ever. No problem. When you get and then Chinese it says, when you are justified, that's what happens right there. Like, I don't do uh, Quicken books, but I'm used to the old ledger accounts. When you keep the accounting thingy, okay, keep the accounting in the ledgers. Well, put my name up there, Paul Mayhew. 
Uh, he was born 1952. He's committed all these sins and will commit all these sins. He is minus righteous. This guy's guilty as could be. He's a sinner. Uh, and so I am no righteous. I don't have any righteousness. Well, on my ledger in Great Heavenly Hall up there, uh, God's great justice room up there, the, the judgment room where the judge sits with his big gavel and he's uh, going to pound it down. So before I receive Jesus, he pounds and says, you are guilty. I am guilty of the sins. But when I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm justified. It takes Jesus' righteousness and a Paul Mayhew's account up there as minus righteous. He puts Jesus' righteous plus righteous, puts it on me, and forevermore I am righteous. Whenever God looks at me, whenever God looks at you, when you believe in Jesus, you go from the status of minus righteousness, no righteousness before God on your account, to put Jesus' account right on you, and forevermore you have that. It's, it will never, ever be changed. That is said and done because it's a legal thing. It's not a feely thing. It's not something that happens in your, your emotions or right here. It happens up in heaven. The quickened books of heaven up there, when God does this, it's put to your account individually. And it will never, ever be changed. You are in Jesus Christ because he has made you right. He's declared you righteous in that very moment. It is a wonderful thing. Now, because we are justified, now we as believers, we get to, did I just jump? Here we go. We get to live in this concept of sanctification, how to grow in our relationship with Christ. Actually, how do we become more like Jesus, more holy every day? That's what we're at right now. The vast majority of us, you and me, who are sitting in this room, is that we do know Jesus. Praise God. We're a believer. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that well? That's what the rest of this is of, of dealing with our feelings. Now, here in Genesis 3, 7, it goes on to say something else. After Adam and Eve sinned, they experienced feelings of shame. Well, they knew that, here's in the, from the text, is they knew, Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. Oh, how'd they know that? God sure never told them that. They're made in the... They're made in the image of God with a conscience of knowing good and evil for sure. But nobody told them that they were naked. But here they are. They have this sense of feeling, this sense of shame, this, this negative sense of, oh, I'm not very nice. I have something terrible about me. In fact, they had to get some fig leaves and sew them together so they would be clothed up. What happened to mankind? This is something they're feeling. Right? They felt ashamed. That's something not to know of, but they, were, they felt so guilty, felt so bad about it, they were, ran out and tried to find some, some leaves and put on themselves to cover themselves up. Whoever told them to go get a book to figure out, how to get on YouTube and figure out how to sew some, some fig leaves to make yourself something to wear. You know, nobody's told them that. They, didn't, they just knew that in themselves. And it wasn't a nice feeling. It was a guilty feeling. Shameful feelings. It wasn't something that a good father would want their people to feel. Being ashamed focuses on the negative feelings of things that we've done. And that's pretty much the negative ideas. Guilt, when you feel guilty, do you feel good about it? No. These guilty feelings, negative feelings kind of come in three, they kind of, I call them the three cousins here. Shame, humiliation, and embarrassment. 
and working in the Chinese culture, the xiuqiu, xiuqian, diulian, we have all these concepts in the Chinese culture that talk about all this kind of stuff of how we feel about ourselves. Here in the American culture, it's here, but maybe sometimes we don't, it's not dissected quite so finely as in the Chinese culture here. But feelings of shame, they're, they're, it's usually about yourself, about your being. Like when I was growing up, I, was, I always wore chubby, I was chubby and I always wore husky pants. I don't know if you even know what that term means any, anymore, but I, I couldn't wear the slim or even regular pants. I had to wear hu husky pants because I was so fat and chubby. And, you know, the, I, like I tell my, my sons, the girls that chase me down all through, all through primary school, I had dimples, and they would just run me and chase me down. Oh, I just hated that. And they would just call me all kinds of names, Pollyanna Mayflower and Mayhugger and all kinds of stuff that they would do, call me that, you know, made me feel so <laughs> bad. <laughs> I was so ashamed because I couldn't outrun the girls. They could just outrun me all the time, you know. It's just, I just felt bad about all that kind of stuff. And so, was, but did I do anything really wrong? I, I don't even think I really overate per se, but I just was. You know, I got s more slender as I grew older, but not, not in those days. So I had all of these kind of shameful feelings about me uh, when I was growing up. And it's about m me as my person, not about how the abilities I do or the, the, the skills I have or anything kind of like that. Hum, hum, humiliation is being humiliated. That I have noticed a, a few times, um, like in the Chinese culture, uh, and I, I, I have hundreds and thousands of students in this Peijung school has 3,200 students, uh, you know, year by year. It's, they always have 3,200 students. So after you go through 10, 20 years, you have thousands of students that you go by. And a lot of, not a lot, but a number of these students are kind of ho-yai in Cantonese. They're ho-yai. That means they're not very nice. <laughs> and what they do is they go out and do stuff to, to just hurt their mom and dad's face, like, and humiliate their mom and dad because they're supposed to be hard workers and, and work really hard and, and they get so much pressure and pretty soon they just blow up and they run out and do something really stupid. And it, it doesn't, they don't even care. The student doesn't even care what it does to them themselves. They just, they're just trying to do this to get back at their mom and dad, to humiliate their mom and dad in public, right? If you notice shame, humiliation, and even embarrassment, it's almost always public right? If you think about it. Now, it does occur, maybe you could feel shameful maybe in your heart sometimes, but most of the time what really bugs people, really gets them down feeling so lousy about themselves, so unworthy about themselves is what other people think of them. It's not what you think of yourself. Almost all of the time. Now, it's not absolute, but a lot of it is. It's public idea. And embarrassed, well, you get embarrassed because I say things that are Many times, even when I'm preaching, I'll put my foot in my mouth and, you know, and I I'm make an embarrassing statement or something like that, not politically correct or something. I, I do that often. So it's a bit embarrassing, but it's not necessarily humiliating or shameful type of thing. So there's, there's ideas of, of negative feelings. Embarrassment is kind of the least, you know, we can kind of live with that, okay? Humil being humiliated, we don't really like that because it kind of has a deal with my honor and that. But then when I'm shamed, when I'm shamed, that really bugs me. That, that really gets people. And that's, that's a, probably the worst type of a feeling that we can have. So guilt versus shame here. Just a little, I mean, 
Guilt is something of doing something wrong. That's what I'm trying to get about. When we cross lines, when we speed the, go over the speed limit, when we, uh, I don't know, so many things we can do that are, that are wrong, morally wrong, when I kill somebody, that kind of thing. Those are morally, those are things that are legally wrong. Those are acts that are wrong and rightly wrong. There's no getting around about it. We are guilty of that. You go to the judge and they, they, they fine you for the, that kind of stuff. But here, shame feelings are more about being. And that's something that um, is very, uh, like, here's an illustration. I got, I'm, I was uh, in, this pu- in this school, 3,200 students, and uh, Cantonese has a saying, chut mao, and that means cheating. Uh, when you go to take tests and stuff, you, you cheat. Now, is cheating something shameful or is it something to be guilty about? Maybe both, but fundamentally, what is it about? Guilt. Okay, so I know many of many of students that have chut mao for, for many tests. And they never felt bad about it until I called them on it. Now, What's the difference between that one? Is that guilt or is that shame? That is shame. Guilt should get you in your own spirit, in your own conscience. It should get you. But it's not until you're called on it, you start feeling guilty. Is that really truly guilt? Might be, but it's probably more about shame. Because we're not down to the hardcore business of this is right or wrong. And you did something wrong. It's more about, oh, I got caught for doing something, so I'm kind of ashamed about that. That is something so we're talking different, and that we're not down to business yet. When we're dealing with sin and talking with people and counseling and me, m- working with people, then get away from the, the shame idea, get down to the root thing. This is guilt. This is something that before God we need to deal with it. Okay, here's the principle. Confession of our sin leads to the disillusionment or taking away of our guilt. People have guilt issues because we are created in the image of God. It is God does not feel guilty, but he has this conscience. He created us in his in his own image. He has a conscience. We have conscience and it's very sensitive. Things that are right, things that are wrong. So for us, how do we get out of that? How, how do we deal with those things in our life that where we have de- done wrong or maybe made to feel wrong? Now, all of us know about David. King David in the Bible, right? So he believed when he was a young boy. He was, well, he was a believer, no doubt about that. Uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah, he was not an unbeliever. He was a believer when he did that. When he lusted, looked down on her from his big, high, uh, palatial kingdom, uh, kingly palace, looked down on her, taking a bath or whatever she's doing down there. He lusted in his eyes. He sinned as a believer. Then he plotted to how to get her into his house. All totally in his head. He knew it exactly what he's doing as a believer. When he sent Uriah out to the front lines to get murdered, he set that all up as a believer. This guy is a believer. Can you be a believer and do such raucous and terrible things? 
It's happened. It's recorded in the Bible. Are we better than them in those days? No. Can you and I do something that's very terrible? Yes, we can. We have all that ability in us. Even if we're a believer, we have, we have this ability, and we need to really be careful about what we do because we are here. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. We're supposed to be like him. Sanctification is growing, growing more and more like Jesus being holy in his eyes. But First John is the thing, confess your sin. If you, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, if you haven't remembered, if you haven't memorized that scripture, do it. Out in China, when people come to Christ, that's like the second or third thing that I teach them in our class. First John one nine, 约翰一书第一章第九节, the the thing re, remember this because it's going to be your lifesaver for the rest of your Christian life. Confession of sin. I've believed in Jesus since 1964. Now it's you know it's 2018. Many many years now. Not as long as you probably, Molly. You're probably been a believer longer than me. But we believed in Jesus a long time. Do you still need First John one nine? Amen, brother. Yes, we need First John one nine. Does Pastor Gary need First John one one nine? No, he's a pastor. He doesn't need it, right? No wrong that's right now a little a little okay evangeline she's just what nine years old right she's a believer she's taking communion and stuff right there does she need first john 1 9 sure she's a baby she's a young believer of course she needs it i need it just as bad right look i'm the one that drives 62 miles an hour every day every time i come in here right no i'm just kind of joking with you but the idea is we never get away from this it's a baby believer idea. It's an it's a old age believer idea. This thing, we live by this. It helps us to get through our Christian life and help us to live like Jesus. Now, way back when um, David sinned, how many of his sins were forgiven at that point? Careful. When, when David believed in 1000 B.C., or probably a little bit before then, how many of his sins were forgiven at that point? Uh, theoretically, yes, but technically not because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, right? It's coming, but it's all done. It's all done and said in, in God's perspective, in God's kingdom work. It's a done deal, but the reality of it did not come until 33 AD when, when Jesus came and died on the cross for those sins. Just like us, we are way past our sins. Are, I'm going to commit more sins, hope, hopefully not too many, but I probably will in the future. Okay, all those sins are already forgiven. i got to come in and confess, confess. But it's not to get justification. It's not to get my, all of my sins forgiven. Those are forgiven. I've already been made an, per, a, a righteous person just like you. When we believe in Jesus, when evangelizers believe in Jesus, when Russell believes in, in the day that he will, then at that moment, all of those sins he are forgiven because it happened in Jesus Christ, whether it's past or it's present or a future thing. Now, here there are some thoughts that I want to think about, help us with here. When we come and think about our feelings that we have, our daily feelings, and... Uh, 
Now you may say, well, you know, I rarely have any guilt feelings. Or I don't really have a guilt complex or shameful feelings. Well, maybe you're the lucky one. Because the vast majority of people that I talk with and I deal with have all kinds of feelings. In fact, you just rub it like this and psh, people are talking, people are crying, people are sharing right away. There are a lot of feelings out here, folks. Please don't tell me you don't have a lot of these. You're, you can identify with some of what I'm talking about. We are just people. And we've gone through a lot of things, some of us more than others. In, in Macau, I talk about our, our suitcases of luggage. Some of us have gone through with a little bitty suitcase that we just tote around and go around and we don't carry much luggage with us, much baggage. Others of us, we have a huge trunk, two or three trunks, that we can, we got to put it in the back of the pickup to go anywhere. There's so much that we pack with us. We do. There's stuff we, we pack. Yes, all those sins, are all, they're all forgiven. That's, that's gone. But the consequences of this stuff, it's round. It stays with us a lot. There's all kinds of these feelings that are going through here. And I, I'm going after the false ones because as a believer, now I'm, this is a generalization for sure. And just Gary, Pastor Gary didn't say this. Paul Mayhew said this. So blame me, not him, all right, for the next statement here. But I'll almost bet you the vast majority of negative feelings that you have, like guilt feelings, humility, shameful feeling that, are false about you. I would say more it'd be the more the minority things are really accurate. Yes. You need to really fess up to this. This is something that you are guilty of. I would probably I'll I'll yeah, I'll I think the vast majority are are not accurate. They're false accusations. First batch comes lack of knowledge and belief in the word of God many of us haven't spent a lot of time in the Bible many of us haven't spent a lot of time listening to the word of God or memorizing and in this day and age it's even getting worse because there are very few Sunday schools now and very few people are now going to church period compared to when I grew up there's a lot of difference but nevertheless, a lot of people really don't know what the Bible says about sin or what the Bible says about us. So all the time we, you know, how we're doing things that we don't know we're not supposed to do. Like this one guy that uh, baptized him and, and uh, uh, well, he's going to baptism class in, in, the, in Macau. He was there and and he came up in his testimony meeting. And he said, he was about the fifth one down giving his testimony. He says, oh, I just praise the Lord. This week I only, I only got into one fight. And it's just amazing because every, all the time I would just fight every, day, every week. And here he is going for baptism class. And in here we'd go, oh, my goodness. A guy that fights on the street, he can be baptized. He's a believer, really. <laughs> well, when he compared, he fought every day on the, on the street. And now he only does it once a week. That's amazing. You know, for him, it's just praise the Lord. This guy's just changing so much. It's so powerful in his life. But he didn't know, really, <laughs> that where the word of God says you're not supposed to be a striker of people, you know, not supposed to do that kind of thing. But he, he kind of knew it was wrong. But he didn't know the word of God about it. The second one is self-imposed guilt. 
And this, I tell you, this is a big one. So many people, you want to call it low self-esteem or something, I don't know, but so many people are in this one. I have a very good friend, I actually two, that have had operation, uh, I forget what, they're quite large and they had operation to keep themselves from eating so much, or whatever that, I don't know what that operation's called, but cut you down from your, you know, the what? I don't know about a bad, well, they can't eat as much anyhow, to get skinny, get, get thinner. So almost every time of 50 years talking with them, almost every time I talk with them, literally, oh, I'm so fat. I'm so big. Oh, I eat too much. Now, did I ever tell them that they're too fat? Not once in my whole life. I've known them for many years, actually 60 years. I've never said one thing about it. I don't even think I've ever put on like I, it bothers me. They are self-condemning themselves. I don't have to. They're already beating themselves over the head like crazy. All kinds of things like this. Oh, I don't like my nose. Oh, I don't like how tall I am. Or I'm too skinny. Or I'm, I have too many pimples or something, you know, like that. Maybe I have too much white hair now, you know. <laughs> you can start, maybe I can get off on that one now. No, I, I don't, that kind of stuff. Self-condemning. A lot of it. And I hear it in the Christian, especially in the Chinese, uh, another Cantonese has a lot of good sayings, ho chop. That means I, I, I am so, I, I'm such a lousy Christian. I, I'm, I'm so weak, I'm so weak, I can never be a strong Christian. I hear that so, so much. And not one time did I tell them they're a bad Christian. It's they're, they're condemning themselves. Another area is others condemning you. And that happens too much. I bet Dave Johnson can give you a whole book of things about this and bullying. Because bullying probably has a bit, this stuff, people condemning you. I hope that doesn't happen in our church. It may happen, all right. But that we condemn other people for things. Well, why'd you wear that shirt in here? Why'd you wear those shoes in here? Like, like, like one, why'd you sit in my chair? That's, not, that's my chair. You, this happened in church. I mean, like... I know about this issue really. It's like this time, you shouldn't be doing this. And it's like condemning people for stuff that, what, what does that have to do with, with God's laws? What does that have to do with God, how he looks at you and me? It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's about other people coming down on you and putting you in a, a hole. The fourth one is demonic. And I I am a very firm believer in demon and his the devil and his powers. We've seen all kinds of stuff out in China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau. We've done many exorcisms, that kind of stuff. It's a real thing, folks. It's powerful, yes. But the worst thing of it is the devil is he is the accuser of the brother and that, that scripture up there. And he just loves to whack you over the head 
come and tell me you're a lousy Christian, you're a lousy student, you're a lousy teacher, you're a lousy worker at work, you're a lousy parent, you're a lousy father, you're a lousy mother, you're a lousy child. He loves to say that stuff and he'll just whack you time and again. God never said a thing like that. In 1971, I, I gave my life totally to Jesus down at Washington State University. In those days, there were Jesus freaks, and I became a Jesus freak there with them. That means I was just passing out tracks all over the place, going to Spokane, going to Pullman, going all over the place, you know, wearing big buttons, and believe, and Turner Burn, and all this kind of stuff, and uh, tell, reading the Bible three, four hours every day, praying, all this stuff, and going to school on the side. Well... One day, I quit school on a Friday morning. I went down uh, to the registrar's office, went in there, and told, told them I want to quit school. And they said, why do you want to quit school? And they said, I said, well, I, people are going to hell. I've got to save the people. I've got to get out there and reach people. And uh, go, place is going to hell, and I need to get up there and help people. And they said, well, okay, if you really think that, you can get out. But you have to go to every teacher, sign, get yourself signed out of every class. So that Friday, I spent all day going to every teacher, asking them to sign me out. Yes, yes, everybody just shaking their head at me. Oh, yeah, you know, I was for Jesus, man. I love Jesus. I'm going to turn this place. Washington State University is going to be different. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it was different in that back in that day for sure. But anyhow, did that at the end of the day. Then I called my dad and my mom about 4 o'clock. Well, must have been, I must have called them earlier because, uh, and, you got to remember, my mom and dad lived in Kettle Falls, Washington. It's over a three-hour drive down to Pullman. And back in those days, they were not helicopters. There's no such thing as helicopter parents. Like, they never took me to college. They never gave me money for college. I just went down to college and did college. And, and then that day, that night at 5 o'clock, there's a knock at my door. And I opened the door, and there my dad and mom stood right there in front of me. And I said, oh, my goodness. I, said, oh. I was so moved. They'd never, they had never even come down to the, to see me there to college or anything. So they said, well, we heard, we got your telephone call this morning and felt as we maybe better come down and talk to you, hear what's going on. And uh, just like that. And you, you know my dad, okay? So, and he's like 6'1", big buff. And uh, he's actually, he's very opinionated if you push him in a corner on the thing. So he said, are you hungry? We're hungry. We just got here from, we drove all the way from home said, sure, let's go out, took me out to a hamburger down there, burger, I think they had a burgerville, went out there and had a hamburger, and they talked and asked how, you know, what I'm thinking about, why I'm doing this, and then they, he made one comment, he said, well, I think if you stay in school, that it'll probably be more beneficial to the Lord's work than if you get out of school right now and quit early, and because it probably use you in a greater, greater way if you stay in school. And he said it so kindly and so nice. And then they said, hey, it's already 8 o'clock. We got to get back home. It'll take, you know, get home at midnight or something. And they never do that. Never. You know, and they don't drive, didn't ever drive like that. And I, oh, man, I went home and I cried for two hours. Just knelt down beside my bed and just cried like a baby. And my dad never scolded me once in that. Not once. A loving father did not accuse me of being a stupid kid. My heart was fine, 
But I made a very foolish mistake, a very foolish decision to cut a wreck, so to speak, my life. Praise God my dad did that because I would not, probably would not have been a missionary in China because of that, that one instance that they did that. The accuser of the brethren, he is not a loving father. A loving father would never make you feel bad about yourself. A loving father will never condemn you for things that probably are not even wrong. A loving father would not have that attitude of always coming down on you. Never. That you can take away with you. Your loving father loves you more than you can ever imagine. He is much better than my father. And my father didn't do it to me. Praise God. Two things for a believer that we do need to be careful. Are we grieving the spirit? Are we quenching the spirit? Now that is something accurate. But that's not condemning us, not making us feel ashamed, and not making us feel humiliated. I don't have any more time. Here, we're done. I want, oh, here. We have peace with God because of justification. But after that, now we get to experience day by day the peace of God in your hearts. On an individual basis, it is yours. It's a precious thing. Don't let anybody take it away from you, not even yourself. I want you to spend a couple of minutes thinking here about what I've just talked about. Just in the quietness of your spirit and heart, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then seriously consider the issue of, yes, I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am guilty. And I need Jesus as my Savior to declare me as righteous. If you're already a believer, then focus on the sanctification part. I'm a believer. How am I looking at myself? Am I allowing God to have the rule in the things that go into my mind and my heart? Am I allowing the Word of God to protect me? To grow me into that beautiful woman, beautiful man of God that He has created me to be, be and become. Now, as you listen to this song, it talks about the concept of guilty, but from a fresh way. It's nice. Think about the words as you hear it. When did it become breaking a rule? To say your name out loud in school When your name's the only one that sets us free 
Please stand. I want to read a couple of scriptures here for us on the way out to closing. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. This is a precious one. Oh. Oh. Did you thank you? This is Philippians. Can you flip me down to Philippians 4, 7, please? The peace of God, 
which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You and I have the privilege of this great deposit in our souls. We have the peace of God in us. Let no one, Satan in particular, no one else, not even yourself, steal the peace of God out of your hearts. You are perfect in Jesus. He loves you and he has accepted you wholly. Now, with that, let us go out there in the world and be guilty of living like Jesus and following him. Huh? You're dismissed. Thanks.